You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. You're going to hear one word repeated throughout this entire message. That word is invitation. Invitation. All month long, we've been inviting you to be a part of it, to be a part of, 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 of community groups, to be a host, to join and serve, to get involved. We've been inviting you to do this. Sometimes we forget that, that invitations and hospitality go hand in hand. Matter of fact, we had a great class about it about a week and a half or two weeks ago. Leanne taught a class on hospitality. And, and so I want to just kind of extend that, extend this invitation to you. I invite you into what we're going to talk about today, because here's the thing, invitations, no matter how small or insignificant they might seem, they hold power and a lot of power, a lot of power. It's kind of this domino effect, really, because when you, when you extend an invitation, it, it changes feelings and it changes expectations. And when that happens, invitations begin to create community. And community creates changed lives. And those changed lives change their spheres of influence. And those spheres of influence that are changed then go to change nations. And when nations are changed, the globe is changed. And that's all because of an invitation. The power is in the invitation. But that's not to say that in that power and in that invitation, we don't have a requirement. The requirement for us is to become selfless. We can't, we can't invite somebody into our world and, and extend an invitation if we're selfish. And so I've titled this message, Selfish to Selfless, The Power of the Invitation. As I was putting this message together, I thought, what better way to do it but than to tell some of you a little bit about me, to invite you into uh, to, uh, to, to one of the most impactful nights of my life, to invite you into some stories about me and how God has worked in. And this is, not a, this is not a, hey, look at me message. This is simply just one of those messages that I want to invite you in. And I want to tell the story of, like I said, one of the most impactful, impactful nights of my life. And, and that was my first date with my bride. I know. It's so sweet. Everyone's like, oh God, here we go. Here we go. We're going to hear about it. No, 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 no. In the first service, I, I actually let out this disclaimer because the last time I brought her up in a service, she wasn't here at that particular service. I said, now don't go texting her and telling her all this stuff. I kid you not, by the time she walked through the door, she's like, people have been texting me nonstop. She had like 15 messages. So all y'all, I have her here. She's heard it before. She was a part of me putting this message together. So don't be texting her being like, your husband's talking about you. I beat you to it. But what I want to do is, is I want something a little unorthodox for, for some of you. Some of you've heard me speak, some of you, and, and you've heard me talk. But for this, I really think it's important. Will you come up here? We didn't do this in the first service, so she's kind of on the spot. And this is not something that she likes. Come on, step You're up here. You're not going to hear me talk that much. <laughs> this table is tall. Let me get a step stool. Hang on. Okay, if you know anything about us, this is my wife, Yvonne. Everyone say hello, Yvonne. If you know anything about us, one of the things that, that we have is kind of this lightheartedness. I mean, we, we are, we're pretty raw with each other. <laughs> so I want to tell you about, we, we want to talk to you about our first night, our first date 
So at the time we lived in Las Vegas and, and I thought, you know what? We live in Las Vegas, world-class restaurants, world-class things to do. I'm going to invite you out to a really special meal. Where'd we go? Well, I'm a world-class special gal. So uh, he true. invited me to, it was actually the only place that was kind of open at the time. It was Denny's. Yes. Chicken fried steak and eggs, baby. Chicken fried steak and Chicken eggs. Chicken fried over steak easy. and eggs, over easy eggs, coffee. It was good. It was good. You were worth it. It was the best. You were worth every penny of that. Every penny. Every penny. Thank you. But here's the, here's the thing. So I invited her out to dinner and we sat there and we had a, a really nice meal. I mean, we talked a lot. And at the end of that meal, you know, we paid and, and I paid, as a matter of fact. Thank I paid you. for it. As you should have. Just, just. <laughs> A big spender, that's right. Paid for the meal, and, and as we were walking out, as we were walking out, you know, that was pretty much the end of the date, but she looked at me and said, you want to come back to my place? Calm down, people, okay? <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> no, it's true. She did. She said, she said, you want to come back to my place? I was like, well, yeah, of course. This is, this is great. It's still early at the time. I mean, It actually wasn't early. It was really late, but we had nothing else to do. It was early in the morning, the following yes. morning. Yes. Okay, okay. We had gone to a PR. People, calm down. That was we a had gone relations to a public event. relations event. It was after that he invited me to Denny's. And then after Denny's, I said, hey, want to come over? <laughs> but when we got there. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are digging. I don't know why I brought Just you up here. <laughs> <laughs> so we got there. We got to her house. And, and, and it was really not what I had expected. Because what I had seen and what I knew from work, because we worked together, was she was so incredibly put together and knowledgeable and confident. I mean, she is now. She talked about her job and it was just like, man, this girl knows her stuff. She took everything that she did seriously and we got to her house and it's like the door closed and, and she was a nerd. <laughs> She was so awkward. I'm super awkward. <laughs> she is. I mean, it was, you know, in front of people, like, I mean, she was, it was like this super easy thing, you know, I mean, not her forte, but she was, it was easy for her to do that. But man, when we got one-on-one, -on -one, she was, if anybody's seen Mad TV, she was like Stuart and that. She was like, look, look. <laughs> she's like, look what, what I, I can do. do. <laughs> it was really weird. But the reason that I knew she was so awkward is because she, she, she looked at me and she's like, Hey, I'm listen to some records. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, okay, yeah, throw a CD on. I mean, that's fine. She's like, no, no, no. And she pulled out vinyl. Vinyl. Like, and she's like, this is the best. Yep. She's like, this Pops is my... Pops and crackles, people. Yeah. Pops and crackles. She's like, this is my favorite album. And I'm listening. I'm like, what is that? And all of a sudden, I hear the 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 the, the voice of Michael Jackson. Gotta be starting something. Got to be starting And I'm like, what in the world? She's like, this is the Thriller album. This is the best album. I love this album. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, so I sat down on the couch and it was funny. She's like, she's like, hey, uh, you want to see something? I'm like, sure. And she walks over to, <laughs> she walks over to under her TV and she pulls over this drawer. She pulls out this book. I'm like, what is this? And she slaps it down and she's like, I'm going to show you my pictures. <laughs> she, <laughs> she literally, ask her, she literally. She I was, went, I, okay, I was really awkward. I went through like every picture album that I actually had. And I was like, because I don't know what to do. <laughs> So let me show you more things. She's like, look, here's, here's when I was a baby in California. Here's when I moved to Utah. And I'm like, uh-huh, this is, this, is, this is great. This is our first date. And she's like laying it all out there. But what, what I realized later is that trip down memory lane did something for her. It opened a door for her 
to tell me all about her life. All about her life. She didn't have the best growing up. Her childhood was not that great. And she sat there that night and told me the good things. She told me the bad things. She told me the ugly things, the deep, dark, ugly things. Things I hadn't told anybody at all. The reason that she did that is because for her in, in the past, when she had even started to broach that subject was people would be like, see ya, way too much. You're way too much. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so she was, we kind of had this, this moment where it was kind of like, uh, here it is. And here's the door. I pulled out all my baggage and I threw it on his lap. <laughs> here I am. And, and I looked at her and I'll never forget this. And we talk about it. I looked at her and I said, she said, you know, basically here it is, take it and leave. And I looked at her and I said, wow, that's a lot, but I'm not here to fix you. I like you and I want to see where this goes. And here we are standing before you nearly 18 years later. A testament of God's goodness. You can sit down, please go away. Let me finish my job. My unexpected response to what, to her story, to what she had, to, to what she had perceived and what she had expected, that, that allowed her to feel safe. That allowed her to feel vulnerable with me. And I was the perfect gentleman at the end of the night because I walked away, didn't kiss her goodbye, just walked out the door, said, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Now I texted her later and I was like, man, I am dumb. I should have kissed her, but I didn't. Why do we tell you this story? Because an invitation to a super fancy dinner changed the trajectory of our lives. An invitation to dinner led to an invitation to her house that invited me into her personal journey. The definition of an invitation is very simply this, to be present or participate. That's it. Be present participate. That's all I did. I was there. I listened. And now I get to participate in her journey, in her journey. You know, from a big biblical standpoint, the word for invitation is the same word for call. There's, there's examples all throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, I, I have a slide. Here's 10 examples of, of, of Bible, of, of biblical invitations. Genesis 12, God invites Abram. Exodus 3, God invites Moses. 1 Samuel 16, God invites David. John 1, Jesus invites the disciples. John 6, Jesus invites those who are hungry. John 7, Jesus invites those who are thirsty. Isaiah 1, God invites those who need forgiveness. Hosea 6, God invites those who need healing. Hebrews 4, we're invited to boldness. In Luke 9, Jesus invites us to come sacrificially. That's just a handful of easy ones that I was able to pick out just by starting to go through and look at the calling on people's lives. It's full of it. Invitations hold the power to redirect and redefine someone's life. That's why they're so important. An invitation is an opportunity for us to share our gifts, to pursue others. They provide an opportunity for organic community growth. They require us to be vulnerable with one another, which is necessary if we're building relationships. They create safe places. They communicate love. And mostly, they reflect God's invitation to us. But what we have to remember is invitations 
when we extend an invitation, invitations aren't transactional. They're actually the foundational blocks of building relationships. It tells somebody, hey, guess what? You matter. I see you. I'm taking the time to bring you in, to, to, to intentionally and exclusively invite you into something. Many of you who, who were here earlier this year, you, you, you heard my heart for fighting human trafficking and, and specifically child trafficking. But the weight of that burden, and it, it wouldn't have come had I not received an invitation to go to Nepal in the first place. It didn't matter if I went or if I didn't go. It was the fact that somebody saw me and invited me. Somebody had been praying about it and invited me and told, told me what they thought God was saying. It showed me that God had heard my prayers and he was inviting me into something bigger than me. It didn't matter whether I went or not. The power was in the invitation. When we start to realize that, we start to look at our relationships differently. We don't, we don't look at them the way that we used to. But I'll tell you this, if we're inviting somebody and we're doing it to see what we can get or how that invitation can benefit us, you're not creating a, really, a real, true, deep relationship. You're creating a transactional relationship. That's not what the kingdom is built on. That's not what community is built on. Now I understand there's, there's a time and a place for transactional invitations. I get it. But in my opinion, that should be the exception and not the rule. Should be the exception. Invitations aren't about what it gets us as the inviter. It's about how it blesses the person receiving the invitation. Think about an invitation you've gotten and how it made you feel. It's this crazy cycle that God, that God put into effect I invited her out to dinner. She invited me to her house. Either one of us at any time could have, could have walked away at any moment, but we didn't. We didn't. I didn't care if she was having a house party. If we were going to walk in there, there was going to be 45 people and I wasn't going to be able to spend a moment with her. The fact that she invited me gave me the opportunity to pursue her. It provided an opportunity for us to, to grow together and create community. It invited her to be vulnerable with me and me with her. It provided a safe place for us. All because of an invitation. We have to realize that as humans, we're not made to do life alone. We're really not. Question that, roll back a couple of years and, and look at what's happening because of isolation. We saw that. Look, right, wrong, or indifferent, however you feel about that. You can't, you can't argue the numbers that, that, that people are coming out of that and they're not the same way that they went in because they were stripped of community. I'm not going to sit here and, and take a position on either side. I'm just going to give you the facts and say, it didn't, it's not healthy for us as humans. We're, we're made to be in community, even if it's a small community. Even if it's a community of 200 believers that are sitting in a, in a, in a room behind a couple other churches or it's four or five people or three people sitting in your living room. We're made to be in community. But the only way we can get into community is when we lower our guard, when we open our mouths and we let people in and let them get to know us. Proverbs 18, 21 says this. It says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Our words can, can love people. Our words can hate people. 
They can build people up or they can destroy them. They can invite them or they can isolate them. I'll take it one step further and say that not even, not, not just your words, but your actions the same way. Your actions can repel people very quickly. Your body language can compel somebody or repel somebody. If you want to come up to me and I'm standing there like this and I'm guarded, you're probably not going to be as interested in talking to me because I don't look approachable. I don't look like somebody you want to come up and talk to. I don't look like I have the time. My actions, my body language speaks louder than my words sometimes. If I'm looking at somebody and, and, and I glance up and turn around because I'm busy, what does that tell somebody? Oh, he doesn't have time for me. He's unapproachable. Let me give you an example. I told you that, that we worked together prior to our first date. We both worked in, uh, with the Air Force Thunderbirds. And, and actually, I have a slide of it. Here's a, a, couple of, a couple of photos. You can ooh and ah all you want. That was us. Ooh, ah, that was us. Just to, just to, to I'll just go ahead and, and publicly say this so you don't have to grab me afterwards. No, I was not a pilot in that center picture. That was actually, that was right before I left the squadron. I got to fly in the backseat of an F-16, which was incredible. I'd be happy to talk to you about pulling 9.4 Gs. Yes. But what I want to show you what's, what's so impactful about that picture is that was a day that I literally put my life in her hands. I was a PR guy. She was a jet mechanic. She worked on the jets. I, was, I just talked about them. I didn't know how to buckle myself in. I just sat down. She got in there and she put on my shoulder straps and strapped me all in and everything. Had she missed one of them and had we had to punch out, I wouldn't be here. My life was literally in her hands. I invited her into that. I said, come, I trust you enough. And then when she got down off ladder, I was like, can someone check this, please? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I trusted her to do that. But one of the things that we had to do when we, when we walked into that squadron and she had to do it, I had to do it before she was there, is we had to, we were a small squadron, 120 people or so, and we had to go around because we were such a small tight-knit community, we had to go around and literally meet every single person. And we had this, this form, I think we still have them, probably still at the house in our, in our keepsake stuff, that people had to sign it, you know, the, the date that, that they met us, and then we had to sign our name to prove it. And so we had to go around to everybody in the squadron. And, and, and it was kind of this forced invitation. Like you had to walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you have time for a meet and greet? Oh, sure. Yeah, let's talk. Okay. Well, my name's so-and-so. I'm from this place. I, I'm married. I have this many kids. These are my hobbies. It was just kind of the almost like dating, you know? And, and so then the other person would go and it was, so it was this back and forth. But when she came up to me, I told her, this was before we were dating, but I told her, the exact same thing that I told every single person that walked up to me in that squadron. They'd go through their whole spiel and I'd rattle off my thing and I'd say, the last thing I'd say, I'd say, look, I'm not here to make friends. Friends are a byproduct of my job. I'm here to do a job and I am really good at my job. So if we become friends, that's great, but just know that that's not my focus. What I can tell you is this, you will need me long before I need you. So let's just make sure that we have that. And people would walk away and be like, man, that guy was a jerk. I was, I was. Oftentimes I was the last guy or one of the last people that people would walk up and she'll attest to it, that people would walk up and ask me for a meet and greet because, I was, because they were intimidated. They didn't want to come up. They knew what they were getting into. They knew what the answers were because word had gotten around. 
when people came in, they're like, hey, man, Clendenin's not a nice guy. Just knock it out as quick as you can. And so, of course, when she comes up to me and I rattle all that off, she looks at me and she's like, okay, you're cute. And that was it. You see, I didn't want to let anybody in. And so I built this, I put on this persona, built this, this wall around me because at the time I was going through a really, really messy divorce. And it was really, really hard for me to, to allow people to get to know me. I used my words and I used my actions to separate myself from people. I isolated and insulated myself from them. And then I turn around and when everybody's getting invited to, to house parties or games or anything like that, I'd be like, man, I wonder why I didn't get an invite. I wonder why I have no deep connections. My friend pool was very shallow. Oftentimes it was just me sitting in there kicking around, treading water, like, what's happening? Over time, I started to realize though how damaging that was to people and how damaging it was to me. That attitude was horrible. I didn't understand the significance of my words at the time. I didn't understand the, the, the lack of invitation or the lack of feeling inviting. And I definitely didn't understand the significance of what God was calling me to do because I was far away from the Lord, far away. What I realized too late was the ramifications of what being closed off and unapproachable, what those ramifications were. And I know this may come as a shock to some of you, but when people perceive you as unapproachable, they don't want to approach you. It took me a long time to figure that out. But here I am, 20 years removed from that guy. A little bit wiser, depending on who you ask. A little bit less cocky, depending on who you ask. A whole lot more humble, I can tell you about it. The fact of the matter is, I didn't want people around me, but now I see the need for it. Back then I was scorched earth. I was desolate. I was unyielding. But now I understand that Jesus calls us to be exactly the opposite. In Matthew 5, 13 and 14, it says this, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be called, cannot be hidden. He calls us to be salt and light to a tasteless and dark world. He calls us to be salt and light to a tasteless and dark world. The problem that we have sometimes is as soon as we taste and we, we have this new saltiness and this new light, we want to go beat people over the heads with it. But let me remind you, sometimes you can oversalt things. Sometimes lights are too bright to look into. If you add too much salt to your food, your body resists it. It repels against it because it doesn't taste good anymore. When you've been sitting in the dark, first thing in the morning, you flip on a light, your body recoils because it doesn't want that light. We have to make sure that, that when it comes to being salt and light, we're doing that with a steady hand and heavenly grace. Jesus didn't call us from light, spotlight on you. No, he called us into the light. We got to gradually walk with him as it became brighter. We got to see where we were going. He seasoned us with salt. We have to realize that, that all invitations aren't always good. 
we have to have discernment with what we're being invited into to know that, okay, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing. Because what happens is, is sometimes we step into an invitation that ends up being a bad thing, but we've already invited 10 of our friends and now all of a sudden they're in it too. And now we're in this bad situation, this rough situation. Our good intentions are no longer working. That was the case from the very beginning. A bad invitation, a bad invitation, a bad choice. Genesis 3, 6 and 7 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there, who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The serpent didn't come in and say, Eve, just go eat from the apple. He made an invitation. He invited doubt. He invited doubt. He dropped that seed, made her reconsider. She took the, she took the fruit and she took a bite. And what I want to show you is that in that scripture, there's another choice that was made. There was a, a, an acceptance of a poor invitation because right midway through uh, verse six, it says she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Now imagine this. Here's Eve with this fruit. She takes a bite. She turns and she goes to hand it to Adam. In that moment, Adam has a decision to make. He can continue to walk through eternity with God the same way that it started for the rest of his life. He could live eternally with God or he could live a life full of death with Eve. He could take from the fruit. He knew better. But he, he had that momentary decision. The serpent invited doubt. Eve invited companionship. And Adam said, I will choose you over him. Adam chose, God, chose Eve over God. Let that sink in for a second. That's how powerful an invitation is. That's how powerful it is. The enemy is a master at doing this. He's a master at sowing, sowing seeds of doubt and causing confusion and, and misconstruing events and ideas and even conversations. He'll make you hear things that weren't actually there. Pick up your phone and read a text and see a period at the end and you're like, why are they mad? It's what happens. Put an exclamation point and you're like, oh, okay, it's good. Don't put any punctuation. It's like, what is going on with them? He gets us to read tonality where there's no tonality. Makes us feel like, hey, you know what? Don't invite somebody. Who are you? You're a brand new Christian. You can't share the gospel. He starts to, to, to make us question ourselves and question the invitations that we have that makes us feel like we're ill-equipped to, to spread the gospel. But guess what? Not only did God invite us, but he equipped us. He equipped us, how? Through our testimony of his grace and goodness. We don't need to make up stories. We don't have to, to, to come up with cool ideas or, or anything like that. We just, we just need to say, this is what God did. We don't need to worry about inviting people in to save them. That's not our job. Our job is not to save people. That's God's job. Our job is to provide the invitation. Period. Dot. Full stop. End of sentence. Nothing more invitation. That's it. Well, what if they're not receptive? That's their choice. That's the beauty of it. All you have to do is, 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 is provide the invitation. Let God do the rest. Let God do the rest.
I mentioned that we lived in Las Vegas and, and many of you who've been to Vegas or know anything about Las Vegas know that there are shows everywhere. We saw a ton of them. They're fantastic. They're world-class. Magic shows. You know, it would, it, it's super cool to watch these things, but then when you get a peek behind the scenes because what I did in PR, I was able to, to make connections and, and we were able to go to a lot of these shows and, and we kind of got to see some things behind the scenes and you're like, oh man, you know, the, the mysterious is gone. And, but there's one, there's one, uh, one crew that was, that was on the strip for a really long time and that was Penn and Teller. And if you've ever seen Penn and Teller, Penn Gillette is this big, tall dude, and Teller is this really small guy, and Penn talks a lot, and Gillette, or Penn talks a lot, and Teller doesn't. It's really kind of like us. I talk a lot, she doesn't. I'm tall, she's short. She's going to kill me when this is done. If you guys don't see me next week, call cops on her. In 2009, though, Penn Gillette released this video and it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I encourage you to go, go listen to it on YouTube. It's about five minutes long, but he's talking about this guy that came up to him at the end of a show. And apparently the guy was there the night before and, and had been invited up to be a part of the act. And, and so the guy was, you know, they were, he was waiting his turn and, and he, Gillette said that, that when he came up, you know, he was very complimentary talking to him and he handed him a small Gideon's pocket Bible. And he had written in there, he'd written, you know, written his name and wrote a little something in there and put some phone numbers and stuff like that in there. And you may be thinking, well, cool, what's, what's the big deal about that? Penn Jillette is a very well-known, outspoken atheist. And so the idea of doing that to a lot of people is like, oh, this guy, nope, this is a bad, bad deal. But what Gillette said in this video should be a wake-up call to all Christians, should shock all of our souls because he said this, and I quote, I don't respect people who don't prophesize or attempt to convert. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not prophesize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you and this is more important than that. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite, honest, sane, and he cared enough about me to prophesize and give me a Bible. That is an atheist, a well-known atheist, saying the exact same thing that Jesus said in, in Matthew 5.13. We, if we are not willing to speak about our Christianity, to speak about our faith, to talk about what God has done in our life, we have lost our saltiness and we're good for nothing except to be cast out and trampled under people's feet. This guy didn't argue with him. He didn't beat him over the head with the Bible. You're going to hell as an atheist. You need to believe in Jesus. No, he didn't do any of that invited him into a relationship with Jesus and let God do the rest. That's it. That's all it is. Invitations are easy. Oh, Pastor Josh, I could never do something like that. Okay, then don't. You don't have to go out there. If, if you struggle with your face, look, and I get it. I get it. Sometimes evangelism is not someone's cup of tea. I understand that. But what if your way of evangelizing, what if your way of prophesizing, what if your way of being, of, of extending an invitation is just by showing Christ in you and what that looks like? How do you do that? What if it's just complimenting somebody? 
What if it's just saying, hey, thanks, and have a good day, making eye contact with them? That's an invitation. It's an invitation we don't think about. Sometimes we think, oh, I got to invite you to dinner. I got to invite you to my house and sit down. No, no, no. I have to invite you into a moment with me because Jesus lives in me. And in that moment of invitation of me making eye contact with you and saying thank you, that's the love of God coming through me to you. We don't think of it like that. Williamson County Schools a couple years ago had, had a, a great campaign. At the time, I was like, this, what is this? But now I look at it, and I'm like, this is a fantastic campaign. It was very simple. Two words, be nice. Be nice. An invitation, be nice. Be nice to people. Just be nice. That's what an invitation is about, being nice, being decent, being observant, inviting people into a moment with you. That's it. Look at it like this. Our lives are busy. What if we took just a second to say, hope you have a great day. Or I really like that shirt. Imagine what that might change in someone's life. Problem is we walk through with these, with these blinders of busyness. And look, I, I'm in the same boat. You walk through with blinders of busyness, you can't be bothered with taking an extra second to say thank you because that person might engage you in conversation. So we just kind of walk off. But what if that invitation, what if that second that you say something is the answer to somebody's prayer? What if that second that you, that you, that you say, hey, thanks and have a good day, or I hope you have a great day. What if, that, what if that person had been praying, God, please just let somebody see me today. I just need somebody to see me today. And that person, you say that to that person, and that person goes home and they don't commit suicide that night. What if it's, what if it's somebody that's been, been contending for a healing and you're like, hey, are you okay? Oh no, my back's really messing with me. Hold on, let me pray for you real quick. Lord, bless this person. Then all of a sudden, that was the straw that put the healing over the top. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they've been praying for was somebody like that. What if it was, what if it's that somebody was, has been praying through for breakthrough and your words, your, your inviting nature came in and said, hey, you can do it. I'm praying for you. Look, I'll tell you a story. I was in Mexico a couple years ago, a year and a half ago, with some of the folks in this room. And we had an opportunity to go and, and, and pray. We were invited to go and pray for an old woman who was on her deathbed. Literally on her deathbed. We, it's, it's this little ramshackle outbuilding that she was laying in. And we walked in and, I, and she looked dead. It was, it was hot, it was nasty, but there were three of us. There was myself, there was a gal from the team, and then there was the pastor that was accompanying us. This whole family was Catholic, and they said, Pastor, just come in and pray. We just asked that you pray. And so he prayed, and then the girl that we were with, she prayed, and I prayed. And I got down, and this elderly woman didn't speak one word of English, didn't understand English. She was late 70s, early 80s, when she had lived a life. And I got down and I just said, Lord, please let her hear my prayers. She hadn't spoken in weeks. She hadn't moved. I mean, it was bad. It was death. And I laid my hands on her and I just started praying in English. I just, Father, just bless her. And as I was praying, Holy Spirit moved through me 
And all of a sudden, a woman who hadn't moved in weeks, who hadn't spoken in weeks, raises her hand and in Spanish starts to repeat the exact words that I'm saying in English, praying the prayers to God. That's the power of the invitation. We were invited to this place. Just to tell you how powerful that was, the woman recovered, lived another three to four months, and then turned around and, 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 and was able to talk about what happened to the rest of her family, who then converted from Catholicism and was changed. That's the power of the invitation. That's what it's about. That's why, that's why it's great to be obedient. This has nothing to do with me. This is not, hey, look at me, I'm great. No, no, no. This is God. Every piece of glory, every ounce of glory goes to God. Every bit of it. Oh, that's great, Pastor Josh. All that happens on the mission field all the time. You're right, but you know what? It happens here too because I was in Kroger a couple years ago. Saw a guy that came to this church one time. He came up to me and said, Josh, man, I lost my job a little while ago. Things are really tough right now. I've been applying and applying and applying. I don't know what's going on. Right there in the produce section, Kroger, Kroger Marketplace right up here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I can do, man. I'm just... I'm at the end. I'm at my breaking point. I don't know what we're going to do. Let's pray. Lord, provide breakthrough. Two weeks later, full job. Best job he's had. Now he's highly successful. Not because of me. Because he invited me into a moment, which is inviting God into a moment. Not saying I'm God, but God flows through me. Walked into a moment, prayed for him, and that was the breakthrough that he was waiting for. That was the prayer. That was, that was somebody stepping into it. We can all do that. Every bit of it, it doesn't have to be come and sit down and, and pull up a chair and let's eat dinner and let's break bread. That, maybe that's not your jam. And I get it. But every one of us can be nice. Every one of us can be open. Every one of us can, 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 can spread the gospel, can plant the seed. I don't tell you these things to puff myself up. I don't tell you our story so that you can be like, man, you guys are so great. No. I tell you these things because I want to encourage you. I want to want you to, to, to be open to moments of invitation, to moments of hospitality, to moments of humility. It's not about what we get when we're obedient. It's not about the cool stories that, that we could sit here and tell. It's about God getting the glory through us. God gets the glory through us. Our blessings, the, these feelings that I have, these, the feelings that I have when I tell these stories, that's just extra. That's just, that's just extra. I, I, I get to receive that because they're blessed. I get to see that. We get to see that. When we put God at the center of our life, we let our guard down. And when we let our guard down, we can be used by him. There's so much freedom in moving from selfish to selfless. So much freedom. I'm not asking you to go out and do something you're not comfortable with. I'm asking you to listen to God and know that if he's calling you into the uncomfortable, he's gonna be with you. He's gonna be with you. The power of the invitation resides in the selfless, humble obedience that Jesus walked in. And that's what we're invited to. That's what we're invited to. 
Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.